Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about the largest industry in our state, agriculture. Now, I packed my turkey sandwich for lunch today, and don't mention to anyone I grabbed the last piece of gingerbread to have a coffee this morning. In mere moments, we'll hook up with our co-host, Jeff Turner. And this post-Thanksgiving week, we'll talk with Tracy Bottomley about their family farming operation just north of Mount Airy, North Carolina. Ag and NC is made possible by Ag Carolina Farm Credit. First Choice Insurance Partners and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Thanks to those folks and get their links on our website, agandnc.com. Jeff Turner is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Board of Ag and co-host of this program. Jeff, how was Thanksgiving in the Turner home? I got to tell you, Turkey Day was good. I hope it was at your house. Yeah, I have not moved into uh, the house that is still being built, that forever will be built. I feel like it's going to turn out to be built more, but the reality is it's going to be a little more than a than an outhouse. But I, I did make a few family classics. We're uh, uh, I'm Dutch, so I had to have red cabbage, man. That is uh, that's oh like really a, red cabbage, buddy. That's that? a that's a staple. If you don't have red cabbage on Thanksgiving, I'm sure that uh, my grandmother would say that the the earth is going to come to an end. We uh, did not practice the red cabbage tradition, but we had a spread, so it was all good. Well, what's the family dish that always has to come to the table, or it's just not Thanksgiving? You know, ours is always the traditional. There's always a turkey. There's always some pork, and there's always greens and beans and cranberry salad. It, it's kind of a the traditional spread at our at the Turner at the Turner home. My wife makes cornbread dressing every year. It's the only time she makes it on Thanksgiving, and occasionally if we beg on Christmas. But uh, that that that's become a staple around the table. Yeah, we we always have some dressing. My mom does the dressing each year, so it's uh, it's again that's that's part of that tradition. Side note: Your mother good to cook this year? Absolutely, I think. Whatever they're injecting Joe Biden with, I, I need a little of that stuff. I thought you were going to seatbelt her to a chair to keep her out of the kitchen. <laughs> no, she needs. She needs some of Joe's juice, whatever it is they're giving him. <laughs> I think that's legal in 17 states now. <laughs> <laughs> well, she can go to Delaware and get it for sure. <laughs> the USDA has put in place some new organic rules. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack previewed the organic livestock and poultry standards. By the way, that's OLPS, the final rules. The new rules establish consistent standards for organic livestock and poultry production while providing consumers with transparency about their purchases. The USDA encouraged public comment on the rules, and they got more than 40,000 written comments. The final rule outlines more consistent standards in six key areas, outdoor space requirements, indoor and outdoor living conditions, poultry stocking densities, preventative health care practices, physical alterations and euthanasia, and transport handling and slaughter. The final rule is the biggest update to the organic regulations since the original act back in 1990. I actually think they got it right. California has mandated certain changes for their animal husbandry, and uh, people are forced to pay whether they agree or don't agree with what the outcome is. Here with the USDA, their USDA organic label says if you want to pay for it, these are the um, the backside adjustments that have to be made on the farm, but the reality is it's not forcing it on anybody who doesn't choose to go that direction. Well, that uh, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's market-based. Right. right. (laughs) I wonder, evidently it was a holdover left there or something because they don't practice that very often. But obviously the the market will dictate, you know, if if you want – 
pork that's been raised out on a pasture, which, by the way, uh, is not too environmentally correct. However, if you choose that that's the way you want to, to buy pork, someone will certainly produce it that way. There's an additional cost associated with that, so you pay the premium. It's kind of like buying premium gas versus regular unleaded, I guess, isn't it? If you want a premium grade, you pay up. If you're an egg farmer, if you're a poultry-raising egg farmer, uh, you want free-range chickens, your odds of your flock contracting HPIA is much greater, so the cost of doing business for the farmer is much riskier, so somebody's going to have to pay down the line. It's no different than with regard to milk. What drove animals to be housed inside in, in close quarters was about the ability to deliver a product that was safe, a lot easier to manage, and from an animal welfare standpoint, did not make them be subject to all the elements of being outdoors. These people who fight all these things and call for all natural and who preach animal welfare, really, at the end of the day, they're not really interested in the welfare of that animal. They want you to be a vegan, period. In farming, there are enough variables that increase risk as it is. If you can find anything that decreases risk overall, that's a path that you you would take. And this in this particular area, that helps decrease a lot of risk for the farmers. Absolutely. The well-being of the animal, it, you just think cold winter days and months, weeks, whatever, and you've got sows that are having pigs out in the cold. If anyone wants to tell me that's better for the animal, I, I, if that's the belief, then I, I, you have a different understanding of well-being than I do. I know I don't want to be outside in the cold. So, <laughs> If we want to turn back the calendar... And it's fine to do that, but we're going to have to increase the percentage of people which are actually farmers, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. No, it, it's not going to happen. And and again, back in the day when everybody had a few hogs in the backyard and a and a milk cow and uh, another cow out in in the pasture that you were raising for for beef, I understand that. And if that's what you desire, then you probably uh, you probably ought to buy a piece of land and turn back the clock. Yeah, absolutely. And it's okay. It's going to be easy to get the land. You'll be so far off the energy grid that you'll be, uh, you'll be working on solar and using a composting toilet. And there you go. That's, hey, that, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, I don't want any of it. I, I've, I, uh, I've had an experience or two with an outhouse. I'm not interested. Yeah. Oh, I, I have as well in zero degrees, brother. Well, you know, you. I, it's, it's really amazing to me. I, I do remember. Uh, my grandparents had no running water in their home. Mm-hmm. They finally got some power. They had electricity and they had a wood stove, uh, but there was no running water inside their house. I remember that. And so I've been there and I don't, I would care to go back. It, it's interesting because we talk now about how far the average consumer has come away from even knowing a farmer and what you just mentioned is exactly that, too, which is how far we've come away from not being wired and connected to everybody with Internet. Prior to that, a phone line. And then prior to that, just being off the grid. Just you didn't have electricity. I mean, I didn't know life like that. I mean, I, 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 we certainly had a camp without indoor plumbing, but um, that, that was a life lesson. That's the way they lived. The other side of grandparents, had they had lights, but it was carbide lights. Had a carbide tank, and again, I remember I can probably take you to that tank today. Still, probably in the ground. 
Shh, don't so, say where it is. That's probably some sort of violation somehow. It probably <laughs> yeah. is. Coming up on today's program, we're going to repeat an interview we had from a couple weeks ago when we talked about pumpkins and other holiday festive fair, and that would be evergreens as well. I remember distinctly the interview we had with Tracy Bottomley of Bottomley Farms. Fascinating guy and story. Really amazing guy. And again, four acres to 40,000. It's amazing. That's coming up in just a moment on Ag and NC. Stop by Bill Carone Cars in Wallace, the only GMC Chevy dealer in Eastern Carolina to be an Ag Pack dealer, which means any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000 in savings. On products you already use, like tires and crop products, check out the advantages of the Ag Pack program at Bill Carone Cars in Wallace or online at BillCaroneGM.com. This is Agriculture in North Carolina. I'm Dan Miller, along with Jeff Turner. We're joined by Tracy Bottomley, marketing director, crop manager, and I'm sure he wears a slew of other hats from Bottomley Evergreens and Farms. Kind of give us a quick thumbnail sketch of sort of the history, how how your your dad and mom got things started. Well, my dad started farming and my mom back in 1970, 71, doing cabbage, and they done that for several years, and... Uh, Decided to try his hand at the beef cattle industry in 73, and that didn't work out too well. So in 75, he got into the dairy operation, so he started milking cows. Done that along growing cabbage for several years. Then in about, I'd say, 1991 or so, that's when my brother Mitchell, he graduated high school at that time, and that's when they got into the wreath-making and garland business on the Christmas side of things. So home base for you is uh, is Sparta or in, a little north? In this North Carolina. And did your dad start out with land, or did he uh, did he rent land? How my, did it start? My dad was probably the poorest guy you'll ever meet back in the day when he was uh, when he was a young man, and just basically uh, started off with doing three and four acres and rented the land. And then, uh, of course, as time went on, he was lucky enough to where he had some good years in the cabbage business and dairy business, and he started buying his own land and just grew from there. And so it's a true homegrown organization. He didn't inherit the first penny from nobody and uh, just kind of grew it to what it is today. Uh, we lost my dad right. in 2015, and so we kind of took over the, the whole farming operation at that time. And 2015, we farmed about 22,000 acres, and today it's about 44,000. Wow. Four yeah, acres and 44,000. Yeah, we run about 18,000 head of cattle, uh, big in the cattle business. We sold out dairy back in... 2015, uh, right before he passed away, and then uh, we got big into the beef side, and this kind of allowed us to do a lot of the things that we do today, and diversification's been, I think, our success to our family. Uh, we work hard, of course, which a lot of families do, and we work hard, and by diversifying from doing the dairy and doing the cabbage, we've kind of gotten other produce and other vegetables, so currently we grow about 16 different items. From cabbage, kale, collards, mustard, turnip greens, we do radishes, red beets, your parsleys, we do cilantro, green beans, sweet corn, we're big in sweet corn, and of course pumpkins. And pumpkins is uh, something we didn't grow until 2000 was our first year, and that started off about five acres, and now the pumpkin business is about 3,000 acres yearly. And your brother's the pumpkin nut, right? Kelly, he's my younger brother, and he's the everything pumpkin, pumpkin guru. So he oversees the pumpkin side business. 
I kind of oversee the vegetable side of it. My brother Mitchell, he does the cattle and does the trucking side. So we're not only just a grower, we're actually a grower, packer, and shipper. Tell us a little about that. Now, do you do some direct retails primarily? And the reason I get up with you is, is the interest in how you guys work out the wholesale. You know, we used to sell to a lot of wholesalers ourselves directly, and really that's not the business to be in. You, the goal is for farmers to sell directly to the retailer, and I think that's what's made us so successful over the years is cutting out the middleman, and, and that's what's allowed us to grow the size that we are. How does one go about that? Well, you know, it all started back probably in 1998 or so when we started doing big and Christmas trees and, and roping and, and, and doing our wreaths, um, we kind of got out there and, and shipping direct to Walmart and a couple of people. Next thing you know, uh, we're in Target. We're in all your Home Depots, Lowe's. And once we got into that side of the business with the Christmas, it was just natural to say, oh, by the way, we'd like to talk to you know somebody else in your department to start selling more pumpkins, start selling more produce. And it's just uh, going to trade shows and working. It didn't happen overnight. It's just been a accumulation of hard work. We start planting, of course, Christmas trees in early February, mid-February as we start. And as soon as Christmas trees are done in, in April, we get into our crops doing a lot of our produce, and those guys help us plant. And then we get into uh, pumpkin planting in June. And then, of course, June, we start harvesting everything all the way through uh, pumpkin season. We should finish up sometime next Thursday or Friday with the pumpkins, and we roll everybody right into the Christmas greens. The land that you farm, is it mainly around the, the Sparta area, or do you go beyond that? Or Well, up until about five years ago, we grew everything here in North Carolina. We was pretty much primarily here in Allegheny County, Surrey County, but now there's just not enough land up here for us to, to farm. I mean, to get the size that we got, we had to branch out. So currently, we probably have 50% of the farming area in North Carolina and 50% of it's in Virginia because we're right here on the state line. Literally, the, our home base is five miles from the Virginia-North Carolina border. We farm half of everything we do is here in North Carolina, half of it's in Virginia. That goes from all the Christmas trees to all the vegetables and even cattle. It's about half and half. Florida, for instance. Well, we went to Florida to try that so we could start doing our produce year-round to keep our, you know, our customers happy because they like buying off of one person versus buying regionally and having to deal with this person for three months, deal with that one for four months, then go to another one. And so our goal was to branch out in Florida. And, you know, that's a long ways away from our home base, and really nobody wanted to move down there to really run it. So we done it one year to try to see how we'd like it. We didn't like it. The problem is with the Florida, they're busy in November and December doing certain vegetables, and fortunately, that's that's our bread and butter of our business, the Christmas side of the business, and it really it started interfering with it, and so we decided not to like to go back. How far do you carry things in the value chain? In other words, obviously, you, you plant it, well, you, you grow it, you harvest it into trucking. On the Christmas side, we freight uh, all 50 states. We're in from Maine to Florida. We ship stuff uh, via containers to go into Alaska, Hawaii. We're in Puerto Rico. So we're all over with that. But our vegetables and pumpkins is more regional. It's anywhere from Washington, D.C., south down to Miami, Florida, all the way up to the Mississippi River. Uh, so the southeast is our big area for produce and pumpkins. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Jeff Turner and I along with Tracy Bottomley of Bottomley Evergreens and Farms on Ag NNC. 
This is Ag and NC. I'm Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner, joined by Tracy Bottomley of Bottomley Evergreens and Farms in the western part of North Carolina. Tracy, before the break, I was about to ask about cold storage. You cold store any of the Christmas trees, the pumpkins? We don't own the pumpkins, uh, but we do cold store our, our vegetables, of course, and also with our Christmas trees. We probably have some of the largest uh, cold storage areas there is on the East Coast. We currently have about one and a half million square feet of cold storage. What's helped build that is when we're in the Christmas trees, we do something a little different than a lot of Christmas tree farmers. Is they cut these things, put them out in their shade cloth. Well, you still get in the fall, you can get 70, 80 degree days, and these trees really dry out. What we do is we start cutting in November, and we act put them right in the cooler, just like you would any vegetable, and then blow water on them so they have a longer shelf life, better for the consumer. Hey, do you balance out what you take direct to uh, retail, and then anything that's like an overflow where you got a good year going, you wholesale out? We wholesale out, that's correct. And what we try to do is, honestly... 90% of everything we do is on contract, and then we try to do a 10 to 20% buffer, and that goes out wholesale. Yeah. Now, on the Christmas side, we don't. We sell directly to the retailers, and that's it. You know, because Christmas tree is a little something different. It stays in the field. If you, you've got a 7-foot Christmas tree, and all of a sudden you don't have a sale for it this year, well, next year it'll be an 8-foot Christmas tree. Can't do that with pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. No. But, uh, you know, most people don't want to get into the Christmas tree industry because, you know, that you're sitting on your money for eight to ten years before you get any type of income coming back. And it's, 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 that's a hard thing to swallow it. That's almost as fast as a cow business, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a cow business is about <laughs> identical to the Christmas tree business. Gosh, we do so big in vegetables now. We do about 6,000 acres of vegetables. We're pretty much as further south you can go in the United States in July and August and September and be able to grow these vegetables. We're strategically placed in the middle of the eastern seaboard, so we can pretty much freight anywhere within one day and cover a lot of these contracts, and that's what keeps these buyers happy. Uh, and we're just lucky because we don't, you know, 78, 79, 81 degrees at the most. It stays pretty cool, so we can do these vegetables where a lot of people in the south can't. Cattle operations, are they all around you right there? Yeah, well, actually, our cattle operations over seven counties. It's three counties here in North Carolina and four counties in Virginia. We've got a lot of mama cows that we that we do ourselves and cave out, but uh, we also uh, do our own feedlots. We take cattle up to 15, 1,600 pounds and sell them directly. So, Do you feed them out here or do you take them west? Yeah, well, no, we feed them out ourselves. And see, that's why I help okay. with pumpkins because, see, pumpkins is the type of vegetable you only can grow every other year because you get a lot of diseases in the land. So we grow green corn and silage corn on it every other year that we're not doing pumpkins, and that allows us to feed the cattle. And that's what allows us to be more sustainable. We have holes, rejects on cabbage or green beans, anything we got, it goes directly fed to the cattle. Nothing goes to waste. Wow. What, uh, is yeah. one of the reasons you got out of the dairy industry the fact that labor's so tough? H2A doesn't exactly well, work there. Yeah, H2A don't work there. We didn't get out of it because of labor. We got out of it because there just wasn't no money in it. In 2012 and 13 was a pretty tough year in dairy. 14 was okay, and we decided, well, let's, let's get rid of this thing, spin it off, and, and just put beef cattle in. And that's kind of what we did in 2015 because God bless these dairy farmers out here. I've done it all my life, and uh, it's just hard to make money. It's tough. What's next? Are you guys going to 
start a, a different crop, another crop? Do you see some well, promise and yeah, something that we, may be coming along? Yeah, we always along? try to add a crop every year, and we always experiment with something. And because we believe in diversity and diversifying, kind of add to the portfolio. And we've tried some things and, and not done well at them. We've done strawberries before and went away from them. And, uh, but as of right now, on the lineup for next year, we're going to start growing cauliflower because uh, we're real big in broccoli, and you grow them about the same. And uh, so cauliflower is going to be our next adventure next year and see what we can do. You try and do stuff on a regular basis. So don't tell me you've got a, you got a barn full of hemp you're still trying to get rid of. Well, let me tell you that what a little secret about that. We did try hemp the first year, which was four years ago, and uh, raised a beautiful crop. I mean, we got these H two A's, and they know how to do it because they do it in Mexico and had a bumper crop. But <laughs> when you can't sell something or they don't pay you, you don't want to grow it again. So we got out of that business. So yes, we have tried everything. All fan question a bit. I mean, do, if those cooler temps with kind of insect pressure. Do you, I mean, he, here in the east, because of the heat and the and the humidity, I think. Probably insect pressure, yeah. pesticide or, or, or pests in general yeah. are probably a little greater than they are in the cooler temps. Do you have a lot of problems with that? No. Generally, we're about half the pest pressure that you'd find in South Carolina, Georgia, or eastern North Carolina, and that's one thing that makes us successful. Less pesticides, less when you're having to go across your field a lot less than other areas. I mean, you can save some money that way. H2A uh, needs an overhaul, needs some work. Have you uh, established regular relationships? Uh, how do you do well with it? I love what the H2A program is about. I really do. These guys do a good job coming here, work, and go home. problem is the, the wage rate is so out of touch with society, it's not even funny. And they keep going up drastically. Yep. I don't know of any job that gets you know, a 10% raise every single year. And it's getting to the point where these guys come here and work, say, eight or 10 months out of the year. They go back to Mexico. They're millionaires. I believe in paying fair wages, but we've got to do something with the industry as far as how it's rapidly growing so drastically. And uh, we're not careful. We're going to find ourselves like California, pay time and a half, and then we'll be paying these guys $20, $22 an hour. And it's when that happens, nobody makes money. Nobody can grow. Nobody can expand. Not, and then that means we have to rely on foreign countries to supply our food, and that's going to be a problem. Not just out of touch, I mean, on a national basis, but uh, as compared to neighboring states, we're high in North Carolina. Oh, yeah, and that's why I tell all my friends that buy from us down in the Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. It's ridiculous that I'm $2 higher than they are by the hour, which most of it's piece rate, but you still have to hit that minimum. Uh, I have to pay to have my stuff harvested at a higher rate than they do in other neighboring states, and it's just not fair. Tracy, what questions have we, have we not asked you? Well, you know, I want people to realize, especially kids going to school, dream big, work hard, and honestly, man, it's just all comes down at the end of the day. You know, you miss some birthdays, you miss anniversaries, and you have to work hard, but if you just stay with it, you look like you're failing, just stay with it, stick with it, and eventually you'll succeed. It's a, it's a tough industry, but it's a rewarding industry. When you feed people, it's, it's a rewarding thing when people have to depend on you. Tracy Bottomley from Bottomley Evergreens and Farms Family Operation in Western North Carolina. More Ag and NC coming up. You're listening to Ag and NC. Thanks to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. North Carolina's official business development and marketing program for agriculture. More than agriculture, it's got to be NC. And by First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna Byram today at 252-792-1189. 
Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. While Thanksgiving has come and gone, with just a few leftovers still to claim, Mom and Nana's treasured recipes have made their best at the table. Farm Bureau does an annual survey of the cost of Thanksgiving. Been doing it for 38 years. This year was down a touch, down about 5% from last year. Did you notice? Our state's farmers are responsible for much of what made your table this Thanksgiving. Not just for North Carolina, but for the whole United States. More than half of the sweet potatoes grown in the United States come from the Tar Heel State. As proof of that, back when Florence hit in September of 2018, there was a 23% decline in sweet potato production. All but one of the top 10 sweet potato producing counties in the state are east of I-95. North Carolina is also the nation's largest turkey producer. Last year, North Carolina growers raised 1.16 billion pounds of turkey. Samson, Wayne, Duplin, Onslow, Bladen, Lenore, and Green are seven of the top ten producing counties in our state. If you add ham to your table, there's a good chance it came from our home state as well. North Carolina, along with four other states, produced over half of the pork in the United States. Pumpkin production? North Carolina is in the top five producing states. Squash and green beans? North Carolina is in the top ten producing states on both accounts. It's amazing that just 1.3% of the U.S. labor force is made up by farmers. So if you're like me, be thankful for your family, your health, your freedom, and the American farmer. More specifically, our neighbors, North Carolina farmers. That's this week's Agriculture in North Carolina. Subscribe to the free podcast, longer version, on Apple or Spotify, or download the IBX Media app. Details on all that and links to our sponsors on our website, agandnc.com. Thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023, Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner, myself, Dan Miller, make it a great week.